Hey everyone, welcome to Creepy Inquiries. A podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spoopy, and true crime With your hosts, Mess, Kevin, and Edie, your friendly neighborhood queers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, everyone. Episode 67. Here we are. You're tearing me apart, Lisa. Tommy Wiseau. 67. Are we sure? We are not. Uh, I don't think Notorious liar, problematic fave, Tommy Wiseau, is allegedly 67. When you were in LA, did you ever go to the um, midnight screenings? Oh, I real. did not. I did not. I did not. I did not. <laughs> oh. My then roommate and I went a lot. And one time we went in costume. She was Denny and I was Chris R. Where's Amazing. my money, Denny? Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Earth Girls Are Easy, Gina Davis, 67. I love her. Oh, love, love, genius love. Davis. Hey, oh. She is. I can't do an impression of her except for, I guess, Maya Rudolph's impression of her from SNL, which I can't remember. But Donatella Versace is 67. Get out! That's right. Get out! My name is Donatella. You want me to sing a song for you? Okay. Uh, don't get me started. Don't get me started, I guess. I want to get You just started. had it. You just had it in yeah. your pocket ready to go. Really good. It's a nice day for a white wedding. Billy Idol, 67. Ooh. Wow. Okay. What's he look like these days? Yeah. Like himself, just older. Okay. Yeah. He actually looks hair, a little bit like look. um like no, a skinny kind of- Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, that's true. I can do that. <laughs> he does look like a Dolph Lundgren on Ozembeck. Too soon. <laughs> what's the deal? Okay, what's the deal with like everybody's talking about Ozempic? I have no idea. I have no idea. It's like a diabetes medication. Yes. But like also a weight loss celebrity thing. Yeah. And it does something to their face. terrible. Sucks out all the fat in your face. You become looking gaunt and stuff. So there's been alleged people. Yeah, it sounds awful. It sounds bad. It is. You in danger, girl. Whoopi Goldberg, 67. Molly, you in danger, girl. Need we I go back to Sister Act 2? Oh. oh. Sister Mary Clarence. <laughs> Sister Act 2. Back in the yeah. habit. The yep. greatest Last movie modern, ever in cinematic history. Modern day Whoopi Goldberg, not great. No. Whoopi Goldberg back in the day, absolutely yes. fucking phenomenal. Biting, the color purple, amazing. hello. Incredible exactly. performance. Mm-hmm. And uh, saving the very best for last. To succeed in life, you need three things. A wishbone, a backbone, and a funny bone. 
Reba McIntyre, 67. Oh, Reba! <laughs> Fancy! A single mom who works two jobs who loves her kids and never kids stops. Never stops. Oh, I love Reba. I knew exactly what I would unleash when I mentioned the word Reba, and I am pleased that it's oh God, exactly I what I thought. Whole, I could go through all of it. I know you could. Trish herself. Uh, Trish. Well, at first I thought I was a mermaid, but then I thought I was more of a a, a water spirit. But uh, I think I'm just a, a hero friend. <laughs> That's Reba that? McIntyre in an interview describing her cameo character Trish from Barb and Star Go to Vista Del- oh, Del Mar. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Listener, if you haven't seen Barb and Star Go to Vista Please Del Mar, do. Please, you please, absolutely please. have to see it. It's fucking incredible. Everywhere I see official couples. <laughs> We've seen it upwards of five times, I think, so far. It's so good. <laughs> so it's, good. It's perfect modern camp. It's Jamie Dornan's <laughs> best role, including truly, the fall. Truly, truly. <laughs> well, anyway, welcome. That's who's 67. All right. Well, happy birthday, Reba. <laughs> yes, to Reba, y'all. Thank you. Yeah, to Reba and Reba hey, only. Hey. <laughs> this is now a Reba McIntyre podcast. She has now been officially integrated into the creepy inquiries. She She's in the lore extended universe. That's right. She's she is our hero friend. That's and right. <laughs> she is my hero friend. And just think that she will be with you in spirit today on this episode because she oh. needs to needs much she is here she's with yeah, us always that's all saint reba saint reba well miss other than uh, prostrating yourself before saint reba mm-hmm. what have you been doing this week uh this week was good i had a 10 hour stomach situation which you know glad it was only 10 hours it was horrible and oh, then God. i may have uh on Thursday or Friday may have popped a rib getting dressed. No, um, your ribs you just got it, back in. It went back mm. in. It went back okay. in. Good. So that's nice. a plus. And then yesterday was actually really great. On Saturday, I got to see my cousin and my sister-in-law and my sister and my nephew for lunch Ooh, and yeah. hangs yesterday. And it was so good to see everyone. And I spent all the time I could just in that big baby and he's so perfect sweet so much he's so big he's yes the biggest baby he's the i love same a giant size. baby him and i, I can confirm he is the same size as like my cousin's two-year-old i'm glad that y'all got to see each other yeah no he was a perfect snug about you what'd you do edie my time today and tomorrow will be about tickets Various tickets. Mm-hmm. Today, mm-hmm. after the record, we plan to purchase tickets to go to visit my partner's family in Australia <gasps> for the Ooh. first time since summer 2019. Yeah. That is so exciting. It is very oh, exciting. Yay. We've had an entire additional niece born in that intervening really? time wow. who is now yeah. two years old. Oh, go but squeeze we will be her. Planning to go in October. We've selected the tickets. We just have to, you know, pull the trigger on purchasing them. You gotta uh-huh. have all your tabs open, all the different. Exactly. Yeah. We gotta get the tickets that you can change the dates. 
They don't mm-hmm. need to be refundable because we're going to use them, Just but we flexible. need to be able to change the dates yeah. uh, right. without it costing an extra like $500 per person per change. And as we record this, we record this on Sundays, tomorrow on Monday, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time, pre-sale tickets will be live for Nick Cave's <laughs> solo North American tour. <laughs> He will be coming to Washington, D.C. on September 23rd. Oh, my God. And I hope to goddamn Lucifer himself. You're going to do it. You're going to get it. To the extent I have ever prayed for anything, Lucifer, my dark lord, I beseech you. (laughs) Lucifer Morningstar. I dedicate my life, my soul. Get me these tickets. Get me good tickets. (laughs) I think it might even be just Nick and the piano because during the pandemic he did oh, an a, intimate uh, night with Nick. A, oh, <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I didn't know what I was saying <laughs> during the pandemic he did a video concert called Idiot Prayer and it was him at a piano just him in an empty hall and I wonder if that might be something like what we're doing this tour and I just it's gonna it's pretty much my only chance to see Nick. And I am incredibly excited. I posted about it. I put the announcement in my stories on Instagram and uh, one of our listeners commented on it just saying, Edith, I know this is so big for you. Or something <laughs> like that. They, listen, like, yes. listeners, you know us. You know us by now. This is big for Edie. <laughs> this is fucking huge. This is huge for me. Yeah. So that is, that is, uh, you know, hopefully by the time this airs, I will have secured tickets, not only to see my beloved family in Australia, but also to see my beloved Nick, my devilish bard, my (laughs) god prince. Kevin, how about you? What are you, what are you up to? I'm, I'm, I'm done. I have to, I, I'm palpitating. I have to. I know you are. You got to take a breather. Put yourself (laughs) on mute. Collect yourself. (laughs) Um, well, my week was lovely. I had a good time. I didn't like the weather. Didn't care for that. But today's it been... Bad. Today's great. Yeah. And I today I finally got to use my new toy that I bought for the lawn. I got the leaf okay. vacuum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. There was that's, a the, that's the okay. toy. The, the, the pause was The leaf. Significant. The leaves. The leaves. The leaf toy. Not, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, got it. The leaf toy. Leaf toy. Dirty, toys. dirty, Lama. So how did it, how did it feel to be so very butch, to well, be like a brawny man? My forearms hurt. <laughs> so. That tracks. Like that could have happened hander. with any kind of toy. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, yeah. No, like the. Like a like a it shakes hammer. yeah you kind of kind of gotta hold it because also yeah, yeah. everyone my my lawn is not grass it is pebbles oh. because I I moved in and I said I'm not mowing anything anytime I'm sorry. so smart do I look like a lawn mower to you no no so I put pebbles on there move. but we have this huge sycamore tree out front too so it always covers leaves. them with leaves. This was the first year I got to use a leaf vacuum. And was it more convenient? Not necessarily. <laughs> but did you feel powerful? I do feel powerful. I do. 
And now you've got sore forearms. I barely could sign on today on this laptop. Press the buttons. (laughs) He's so weak, y'all. He's so weak. (laughs) He's getting so strong. I've been painting still, and that's been going great. And I thought about- Yes, the AbFab period continues. I'm in my AbFab era. The most recent one, so good. (laughs) Thank you. I thought about a potential name if I were to start like an Etsy store or something. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I would name it Pop Goes the Culture. Cute. 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 You little weasel. Love it. Cute. Cute. Keep your peepers peeled, listener. I know. We might have an Etsy on our hands. We might have an Etsy store and it might cross promote. I don't know. (laughs) Listen, why not? Yes. But until then, we just have the pod. So we're just here doing yeah. potty stuff. Just just this potty little stuff. pod we're casting. Potty stuff. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Welcome to the potty room. <laughs> oh, my God. That reminds me of when I was waiting tables. There was oh, no. a guy. I was at an upscale pizza place here in Baltimore. And there was a family, two parents and their adult son. And the father... Uh, had lactose intolerance and he was taking Uh a lactate and I had been having a great rapport with this family. And I go, Oh, Oh, good call. You're lactating. (laughs) (laughs) And then we all froze (laughs) and then I died. And then I died and I have been a ghost ever since. (laughs) Did you slink away with your head down? Are you like Homer Simpson into the bushes? I was Homer Simpson into the bushes. I I passed away. I fully passed away and have been a ghost. He's lactating. Luckily, they were very cool and also thought it was funny. That is lucky. Well, now let's uh, take a turn from funny town to bummer town. Population three. Entertain me. I'm going to entertain you with a true crime story, which is both a true crime story and a spoopy story. But when heard, when it's heard as I believe it should be with a skeptical ear, I do feel that it's more appropriate to present it as a true crime segment. Okay. At the top content warning for this entire story for uh, religious abuse and some body horror and some food stuff. Okay. Uh, if you would like to skip this story, I believe that we generally put segment timestamps in the mm-hmm. show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kev, you grew up Catholic, right? <gasps> yes, I did. Yeah, me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. I think I've said on the pod, uh, I was so Catholic that my grandmother took my infant body into the bathroom in the hospital to give me a laywoman's baptism in the sink before I left so that if I died in the hospital, mm. I wouldn't be sent to purgatory before I could have a baptism. As in you church. deserve. Now that's Catholic. Now Just that's so Catholic. So dark. Joke's now on her because I, I got out before I was confirmed. <laughs> oh, my Sunday school teachers when I was young would have had a lot to say about that. Just to be like, oh, you know, your your friend's great and all, but you know they're going to hell, right? The devil's after them even now. Oi. Hell yeah. Speaking well, of the devil, speaking being of the after devil. people. Oh, that's a great sub- segue. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Today's story is about the devil, except that it's not. Mm. Okay. Oh, I'm hooked. My. 
bring me in. Miss, I think that when I speak my next words, you'll know what I'm talking about. Kev, I okay. don't know if you will. Annalisa Michel oh, was this born is on my list. <laughs> in 1952 in West Germany. Oh, I knew yeah, that okay. it was on your list because yeah, yeah. so much so that after yeah. I finished it this morning, I freaked out and had to go through each of our old episodes to be like, has Miss talked about this already? I cannot <laughs> tell you that every single week I have to do that for whether it's spoopy or not. That's totally <laughs> fair. And that's good because I do that too. I do we that should have way. a spreadsheet. I'll make a I, spreadsheet. I okay. literally just had the same thought. I like it. Annalise Michel was born in 1952 in Bavaria in West Germany. That area in Bavaria mm. is deeply Catholic. <laughs> area. That Bavaria area. <laughs> it's deeply, deeply Catholic. 70% of its then 11 million residents were members of the One True Church. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, Annalisa and her family were among them. When she was 16, she had her first seizure. She lost consciousness during school, and a classmate found her in a trance-like state. Later that night, Annalisa woke up suddenly in her bed, feeling as if something was pressing down on her. And she couldn't move, she couldn't breathe, she couldn't speak, and she lost control of her bladder. Mm. Sounds very scary. And Annalisa was scared. Uh, but as a little bit of time went on and nothing else happened, she more or less put it out of her mind until the next year in August 1969, Annalisa had another seizure. A neurologist examined her and would later explain to investigators, I judged from the description I was given that this was probably a case of cerebral seizures of the nocturnal type with these symptoms of grand mal epilepsy. Mm, okay. Grand mal seizures are now known as tonic-clonic seizures. They have oh. two phases, a tonic phase and a clonic phase. Tonic? Gin and tonic-clonic. Just, just a, a casual after-work drink. <laughs> they can begin with a partial seizure that's known as an aura. And during an aura, which is like the pre-seizure section that can happen mm -hmm. people can experience sensations like strange smells vertigo nausea anxiety and then when the seizure starts in earnest it starts with the tonic phase when people can lose consciousness and feel paralysis in their muscles and respiratory organ in their muscles and respiratory organs mm -hmm. because those Terrifying. muscles are involuntarily contracting yeah then comes the clonic phase when a person's extremities and face spasm and jerk around quickly and uncontrollably. And then when the body finally relaxes at the end of the clonic phase, it's not uncommon for the person's bladder to release after all of that stress. Sure, sure. So Annalisa's symptoms fit the bill of a tonic-clonic seizure. For example, one day while praying the rosary, she said she smelled something sweet, like violets, following around her, and she felt euphoric all day. And other girls from the school later found her, again in a trance-like state, with her hands stretched out rigidly, they said like a cat putting its mm -hmm. claws out, yeah. mm -hmm. and her pupils were fully dilated, making her eyes look black. Blown. Mm -hmm. After that third seizure, Annalisa started experiencing behavior changes. By 1973, friends and family said she was withdrawn and tended to lash out in anger. Mm -hmm. She fell into a deep depression and contemplated serious self-harm. She claimed that someone else is manipulating me, 
and my will is not my own. She told her psychiatrist that she could not love sufficiently and felt castrated and ice cold. Hmm. Annalisa stopped hanging out with her usual friends and took up with a group of hyper-Catholic conservative students. She started to only talk about religion or view everything from a religious lens. She became convinced that she was damned and warned others about the end of the world. She believed she'd seen visions and spoke with the Virgin Mary. Uh Uh-oh. She became very interested in the life of Barbara Weigand, Mm -hmm. a Catholic self-proclaimed mystic and prophet who also claimed to have had visions of the Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. These experiences are, again, consistent with symptoms of temporal lobe epilepsy. Feelings of depersonalization and derealization, which means, you know, I'm not real, the world isn't real. Mm -hmm. They're associated with complex partial frontal lobe seizures and other behavioral changes that can happen in people with temporal lobe epilepsy are hyper-religiosity, drastically reduced interest in sex, and a tendency to withdraw generally from human contact. In 1973, Annalisa took a pilgrimage to a shrine in San Damiano, Italy. She freaked out. She believed that she couldn't enter the shrine. She said that the soil beneath her feet burned her like fire. She couldn't look at the image of Christ in the chapel and any image of saints or uh, holy things. She said that they uh, shone super brightly so much that she couldn't look at them. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. She later refused to eat food. She said that demons would not let her eat, but she did consume spiders, Oof. flies, coal from the fireplace, and would lick her own urine from the floor. Ooh. I did not know that. Honey. That is... It was very intense. That is She'd intense. only sleep one or two hours a night, either Ugh. running through her house or praying, screaming to Jesus for mercy. Poor woman. That I sounds. It, it gets Hellish. very bad. Yes. Yes. Yeah. She would genuflect, which is a part of Catholic prayer in which a person goes to their knees and then stands up again. Mm-hmm. 400 to 600 times a day. Oh. Jesus. And she's not eating? No. Her knees were horribly bruised and swollen, and she would talk about dying to atone for the wayward youth of Germany. Is she living with her where is she living is she living she's with living her with her parents and i believe that she is living with her parents she was studying theology but i believe that she was living with her parents okay okay i'm assuming that her parents are also like hyper catholic her parents are very catholic as well okay so her parents had taken her to doctors and tried various treatments and medications over the years none were providing relief and it's not clear whether it was because the various treatments weren't working or, you know, it's also not clear how, how compliant Annalisa was Mm -hmm. with taking the medications that she was prescribed, Mm -hmm. um, which I don't say in a blamey way. I just say in a, in a way that sometimes it's difficult to take medications, especially when your symptoms are so intense being like, this is not um, a medical malady. This is a spiritual malady. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they tried, the parents had tried sure. uh, and weren't getting relief. And here they had Annalisa utterly convinced that she was possessed. Yeah. So around 1973, the year that uh, Annalisa went to San Damiano in Italy and mm-hmm. had that freak out at the shrine, mm-hmm. they turned to the church 
in a move that would prove to be a grave mistake. Mm-hmm. Annalisa's diagnosis of possession, not epilepsy, was first made by a local priest, Father Ernst Alt, a man in his 30s. Alt and other local priests he consulted knew about Annalisa's history and epilepsy diagnosis, but grew convinced, just like Annalisa and her parents, that the young woman was possessed. Psychotic. Oh, my God. Finally, in 1975, the local bishop, Josef Stangl, permitted Alt and another priest, a man in his 60s named Father Arnold Rentz, to carry out the rites of exorcism in total secrecy. Always good. Things happening in secret to save people. Always good. Never fails. It's so great. And let's take a quick detour to talk about these rites. The exorcism rites are contained in a larger ritual book called the Rituale Romanum. The first edition of the official Rituale Romanum was authorized in 1614 by Pope Paul V. And that's what and we it, should still be doing, living living our lives living. by that, that, that guide. So, great. The right we're concerned with now is De Exorcismus et Supplicationibus Quibustam, concerning exorcisms and certain supplications. And this version of the right, as I believe in 1975, uh, was largely unchanged from the 1614 version. That is comforting. Bishop Stangl granted this permission, he said, after careful consideration and good information. What is that? Well, he relied entirely (laughs) on faith in the written letters from Father Alt. He didn't ask for documentation of Annalisa's mental health history or any second opinion from her neurologist or psychiatrist. He did, however, consult Father Adolf Rodovic, of Frankfurt, uh, red flag. an 82-year-old exorcism expert. You know, you got to call in the professionals. The you got to call in an old man named Adolf. <laughs> oh, good. Just go by like You got to change it. 80 I know that you're 82. I know that you were named Adolf before that other guy was named Adolf, but you've got to fucking change it. But you have to. Unless. You can't stay Adolf. Unless you were like Unless. a big fan. You yeah. like <laughs> Okay. All right, you 82-year-old exorcism expert. Let's see what the fuck you got. Well, Rodovic wasn't involved with the actual oh, exorcisms. Okay. Uh, Stangl granted permission to Father Alt and Father Rentz to do the exorcisms. Right, okay, mm-hmm. okay. And in 1975, they began at Annalisa's request. She wrote Alt, I am nothing. Everything about me is vanity. What should I do? I have to improve. Oh, God. Over time. Nothing about her is vanity. Literally nothing. No. She's absolutely torturing herself. Yeah. Yeah. And the people around her are uh, reinforcing and indulging those Mm -hmm. delusions. Which is really scary. It's super scary. It reminds me of the uh, haunted house in Gary, Indiana that yes. Miss talked about in yes. episode blank. <laughs> it was an early uh, one. And one of our earlier episodes, I want to say somewhere in the 20s or 30s. Probably. Uh, yeah. Where local authorities and police were reinforcing ideas that 
a house was haunted haunted. and children were possessed. As the exorcism rites began, the so-called demons identified themselves. There was Cain, Adam and Eve's son, who slayed his brother Abel. Judas, the apostle who betrayed Jesus Christ. Nero, corrupt Roman emperor. Demons <laughs> like Belial. We got Nero in the mix. Belial. So these aren't like tradition. It's not like Beelzebub's not in there. It's not like Well, Biblical. actually, Evie Belial just said. is in there, oh, but okay, also okay. Hitler. Oh, who can argue he's not a demon? So what about these demons? Yes. Well, though these demons should have spoken different languages, like Judas should have spoken Aramaic. Nero should have Mm -hmm. spoken Latin. Mm -hmm. When they spoke through Annalisa, they all spoke German. Interesting. Once the exorcisms started. Hitler was translating first. Yeah, he was. That's true. That's what it was. You know what? He was a good solved, Kev. Mystery solved, Kev. Because that's Hitler just wants to be helpful. Mm-hmm. He does. Uh, so he's he's taking on the translation. He truly always saw himself as like a middleman anyway. Mm-hmm. 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 Let's <laughs> isolate all of these quotes. Isolate that audio. <laughs> Hashtag cancel Kev. <laughs> yeah, it's not me. Once the exorcism started, Annalisa refused any medical treatment and asked her parents to trust in the Lord. I don't know about you, but if my kid, who was like 22 at the time, was saying shit like that to me, I would no. not believe her. I would not take her at her word. I'm just trying uh-huh. to picture my mother in this situation. And um, no, she's not indulging that. I'd be <laughs> in every hospital before that. But, you know, happen. this is a process that the church itself has sanctioned, albeit secretly. So it's all... You know, it's a heady mix of experiences. Over the first half of 1976, Alt and Renz would perform 67 separate exorcism rituals. On her? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So multiple times a week. Some of the sessions took up to four hours. Mm. 43 of them were recorded on tape. Oh, Annalisa was sometimes tied down during the rites because she would thrash so violently that her teeth broke. She'd have bruises everywhere and both of her eyes were blackened. And she was so emaciated. Oh, yeah. Uh, Listener, you can look at pictures of her around this time. It Mm -hmm. is disturbing. Horrifying. If you want to look at these pictures, I I warn you that you should use caution. Mm Mm-hmm. Father Renz said that he was the one to carry out the last exorcism rite, the day before Annalisa died. When Annalisa did die on July 1st, 1976, she was 23 years old and weighed 68 pounds. Oh my God. How was she even alive? How could she be I don't alive? Know. I don't know. Her last words were, please, absolution, and mama, stay with me. I am afraid. Oh. I know. I know. It's terrible. That's terrible. Fucking awful. So even it's with all awful. of these people and how often they're in the house, she's still not eating? No, she, she won't. She won't do it. And nobody's really making her. That's what I don't, that, I think more than her not eating is people not trying to get her to eat. That's what I don't understand. It's, the, it's not for me to understand. I know. Don't get it. 
finally, a doctor was called to the house to issue a death certificate. So that's oh. when they call the doctor. That's okay. what they're... Oh, what do you have to say? Well, he refused to just, like, write off on it because he wasn't Weird. convinced that she died of natural causes. After yeah. all, she was emaciated and covered in bruises, and her knees were broken from her <gasps> constant genuflection. Oh, man. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. This is one of the most terrifying stories. Oh. An autopsy report concluded that she died of malnutrition and dehydration, which makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Well, to clear things up, Father Alt called the prosecutor's office to explain the situation. The prosecutor immediately started an investigation. Well, good prosecutor. He said he'd simply been conducting a series of exorcisms on Annalisa because he believed that she was demonically possessed. When he was asked why he hadn't sought medical intervention, Alt said he never thought that she was dangerously ill, and if he did, he'd have called for a doctor. She was an adult woman who weighed 68  pounds and had broken knees and shattered That's the, teeth. That's the devil, baby. It's, it's demons. It, that was Nero. That was Nero. Son that of was Mitch. That was Hitler. That's, that, I hate all of them, believe it or not. Father Rents, when asked the same question said that the ritual rules expressly provide that clergymen should not burden themselves with medical matters. Oh, no. Why would we burden ourselves? Why? When we can just kill people and call it religion. Well, in that, Renz was right. The 1614 version of the exorcism ritual book that they used said nothing about a priest's responsibility for the well-being of the possessed person and instead suggested that the exorcist's shouldn't give or recommend any medical treatment to the patient, but should leave that care to physicians who were not present and who the priest had no responsibility to call. Wow. Wow. What year was this? This is 1976 when she dies. Oh God. Okay. That is, (laughs) that is not that long ago. It's not that long ago. A month after Annalisa died. So this would be August, 1976. Father Renz appeared on TV. For a 45-minute feature. Uh-huh. He named the demons attacking Annalisa, no, Cain, Judas, Belial, Hitler, Nero, yada yada, and played one of the 43 tapes he made during the exorcisms so TV oh. listeners could hear her growling, screaming, and raving. I chose not to include that audio in this story, but it is available for you, listener, if you would like to hear it. Again, absolutely protect yourself when deciding whether or not to investigate that yourself. Renz told the audience that death released Annalisa. He said, the devil does not reside in a dead body. Oh, so why didn't they just kill her from the start? I know, why didn't they just do that? Why didn't they just kill her from the start? Because then she'll be dead, but then she'll be in heaven. And that's, you know, that's, um, that's the, that logic is kind of your old school witch burning logic of, you know, worst case scenario, we've, we've, uh, released someone from the clutches of Satan. Best case scenario, we've burned a real witch. Yep. Yep. This is also making me think then the priests must have denied i feel like they knew to purposely not call doctors because they were trying to starve yeah. it out i 
I they suspect could not something have similar. believed that nothing was wrong with her medically. Alt yeah. knew about her epilepsy diagnosis oh, from good. the beginning. Alt knew about it. So, yeah, everybody knew that that was a possibility and just chose to believe that it was that that was wrong. Uh, Father Ernst Alt, Father Arnold Rentz, and both of Annalisa's parents were charged with negligent homicide. Hmm. Okay. The trial began on cool. March 30th, 1978. The priests were defended by church-paid lawyers, so lawyers paid by uh, essentially the members of the clergy. Yeah. Right. Great. Very cool. Stand by your man, baby. It reminds me of how cops get sued for misconduct. Yep. That it's taxpayer money that is paid out to uh, yep. harmed persons. Mm-hmm. So it just costs us a lot Fun of money. Fun story. When I was getting my pre-law school degree, I got an AA in paralegal studies. One of my professors was an attorney who defended cops with like, you know, excessive force claims and all of that. Uh, Fucking uh, great. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Glad. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Yep. And Lisa's parents back. were represented by a top German defense lawyer, a guy named Erich Schmidt Leichner. Okay. And he took on extremely difficult cases, including defending alleged Nazis in the Nuremberg trials. So this guy mm-hmm. knew his mm-hmm. stuff and was willing to, uh, willing you know, for better or for worse, was willing sure. to defend, you know, what people would call indefensible. Everybody deserves a competent defense. That is also true. If we believe you know, so. Else. I don't know anything about Schmidt Leichner personally, but I do not have a problem with him defending sure. difficult people. The crux of Schmidt Leichner's theory of the defense was that. Exorcism was legal in Germany, and the German constitution safeguarded citizens in the unrestricted exercise of their religion. Sure. Solid argument. Solid. Yeah. The month before the trial began, so in February 1978, Annalisa's parents ordered their daughter's body exhumed because they said a nun told them that she had a vision that Annalisa's body was still intact, which would be proof of the demonic possession. Like, if her body didn't decay, then the devil was still inside her. The exhumation was attended by hundreds of spectators. This story was a big deal. So this really adds just so much insult to the injury. Mm -hmm. And authorities say that Annalise's body showed normal body decay after nearly two years. Yeah. At trial, a series of doctors testified for the prosecution all told the court that Annalisa died of some combination of epilepsy, various other mental disorders, and an extreme religious environment. Annalisa's father, Yosef, sat silently throughout the trial. Her mother, Anna, took notes and would say, oh, dear God, whenever a doctor would testify that Annalisa suffered from medical maladies rather than spiritual ones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rentz testified that he'd written to the bishop before Annalise's death, that her condition was deteriorating, but got no response. 
Bishop Stengel, who was not charged, said that while he was in contact with Alton Renz through about a dozen letters over the course of the exorcisms, he didn't have any direct contact with the Michels at all during the nine-month period where the 67 exorcisms were performed and wasn't aware that she wasn't receiving medical treatment. Classic ball hiding. I just didn't didn't know. I didn't do I was just writing letters. I don't what do you what do you want from me? You could fill a million books with the things that higher ups in the Catholic Church didn't know. Yeah. Oh God. It's well, stopping. I mean, it's really easy not to know when you only wear blinders to make exactly. sure that you don't know anything. Yeah. There are things that you choose not to know. And absolutely those were among You know them. though. I think a lot of it is just bald face lying. I think they know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, yes, but that's what makes it believable is because um, they're yeah. religious. Men of God don't lie. No, never. Like it's against the rules. God wouldn't mm-hmm. let it no, happen. Sin. So it's it sin. doesn't. It's a sin. It's a sin. Doesn't they're happen. priests, so they don't sin. Yeah. Alt and Renz told the court that they remained convinced that Annalisa was possessed and that her death finally freed her. Her parents, for their part, while they believed that she was indeed possessed, they did not believe that she was freed in dying. What? Partially because they didn't believe that death freed her, for better or worse. So part of that is, you know, remember when that nun said, hey, her body is, Uh I saw a vision that her body is still intact because the devil is still within her. Right. Good. All four were found guilty of negligent homicide. They were each sentenced to six months, all suspended with three years probation, which I believe is a harsher sentence than the prosecution was asking for. The prosecution was asking for fines for the priests and um i think they were asking for something less for the parents because they had lost their child um for the parents at least that sentence makes sense for the priests i don't know i don't know it doesn't that's that's kind of what what ended up happening so essentially they Three months probation, is that what, or three years probation? Three years probation, yeah. Yeah, so they, and at no time was any prison time expected from this trial. Okay. Uh, It was more, I mean, a lot of it was symbolic, a lot of it was cultural, a lot of Mm -hmm. it, you know, this German indictment against the church. Bavaria, Bavaria, that was very, very deeply Catholic, but Germany itself, at this point, West Germany, uh, had prided itself on being a fairly secular place especially compared with other um, countries in europe so there would have been horrifying for those people it was a lot bishop stangl said that in the future he'd only approve exorcism if the possessed person agreed to the presence of a doctor during the ritual the catholic church ultimately reversed its position on annalisa conceding that her ailments were medical and not demonic Interesting. After Annalisa died, exorcism became very taboo in Germany. It was a big deal. And there there were still some exorcists, I think, performing rituals, uh, but it was just a few and all in secret uh, as compared to some place like Poland, where exorcism is was much, much more prevalent for they're much much more religious, I would imagine. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
the Catholic Church at large is still in the exorcism business. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't until 1999 that the Vatican updated the rite of exorcism and published it as its own ritual book. And only then... You mean that 1615 document is not good? Why aren't they using... No, it's no good anymore. Weird. Only then were the changes made to forbid exorcisms on people (laughs) who are mentally ill and to require thorough medical examinations. So this was 20 years after... The trial, essentially. Yes. Well, are they and, trying? You know, twenty-five years ago. The Sweet. nerve of them trying to update that six that sixteen fourteen document. It's that sacred. was perfect. It came written. from God. Yeah. How can you just? Did you get a fax from God? Nineteen ninety-nine. I mean, I guess it's you know, back in sixteen fourteen, Pope Paul V, who was infallible and was the voice of God on earth set out these rights. And then in 1999, it was, oh, who was it? Oh, sorry. John Paul II, maybe? John Paul II, yeah. yeah, JP II. Also infallible, made the changes. So anything the Pope says goes, Pope can't be wrong. Pope's the Pope. Yeah, Pope Frank just said all the priests can fuck now. Did Did they? Yeah. Like all of them? Like, um, he said that was always just temporary or something. I will get this... Oh, because honestly, I'm very, Fact. very much support that. <laughs> maybe they'll stop. Maybe they'll stop doing so much molesting. Yeah, maybe they'll slow down if they can have. A I mean, no. well, no, I mean, pedophile. pedophile's a pedophile, no matter where they are. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's just they got good cover in a church. Oh, but he's saying still. it could be changed. It is. Oh. It's always been quote temporary, even though it's been a requirement since the 11th century. But uh, it's temporary. It was temporary. It's really temporary. It's and a he thousand, says, thousand years. It's temporary. <laughs> he says there is no contradiction for a priest to marry. So, so let them get married and let them have. But more he's still he's lives. still like hedging about it. He's like it could oh, change. Know. It's not, but it could. Wink. I'm the flirty pope. Rome's prestigious Antheneum Pontificum Regina Apostolorum College launched a course for exorcists in 2005 that included classes on the history of Satanism. Oh, do they have online courses? I want to take I don't know. I'd love, I'd read that book. Yeah, I'd watch that too. And as we know from living in the world, from especially from around 2015 onward, uh, the satanic panic is very, very much back in vogue to the extent that it ever left us. Mm -hmm. And what made me want to do this story this week was seeing a trailer for a really shitty looking movie that makes exorcism look kind of like real and cool. Great. The Pope's Exorcist is an upcoming movie in which Russell Crowe, with a ridiculous <laughs> Italian accent, I plays saw the Father Gabriele Amort, the chief exorcist of the Vatican. The movie looks like it sucks. It looks it like a piece mo- of duty. It looks like absolute duty pooty. It is loosely based on Amort's own memoirs. It looks like fucking shit. And I hope it goddamn bombs. I, it will. It will. I mean, There's no way it, that that no. would be successful. There's no way. There's no fucking way. And they filmed it like less than a year ago and they're mm. putting it out like soon. Whoa. So it's, no. so it's it Russell Crowe is in yeah. his like direct to streaming I era. need to pay my Russell bills. Crow, I just, I need money. It started so with him do it. auctioning off all of his stuff, right? Remember when he did that? Yes, yes he, he did. did. He auctioned off the um, leather. The, the leather Something. speedo thing from the boxing movie. Oh, there you Cinderella go. Cinderella Man. 
There you go. Oh, I was thinking. There you go. Okay. No, no. (laughs) Uh, And that is a little bit about Annalisa Mikkel and the people and institutions who failed her. Oh, total boo to all of the people involved. Like, Annalise, I'm so sorry. Like, she just was. She deserved way better. Yeah. 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 Listener, if you're super Catholic or if somebody close to you is super Catholic. Go to a doctor. Consider the alternative yeah. consider maybe not consider being Catholic anymore. not yeah and and uh, like get at us Edie and yeah. i are both recovered catholics we'd be happy to like talk to you about it earnestly honestly yeah. and i do want to make a very big distinction between religion and faith i think faith can be something that mm-hmm. is very mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, helpful sure. to people um Agreed. and religion particularly my, and this is just my opinion and mine alone. My opinion is that the Catholic Church as an institution has been one too. of the most harmful uh, and insidious cults mm-hmm. in the history of the world. Truly. I do not believe that the Catholic Church has much, if anything, to offer anyone. Truly. Uh, no. So if you are no. a preach believer in Jesus Christ, <laughs> you might be able to do that without you can the do without. machinations of the church. Yeah. Yeah. Involving themselves. Yeah. But you do you. If you're not hurting anybody, that's fine. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I've got a lot of feelings. I've got a lot of feelings about this church. I do too. I I don't, I have no problem with um, people who are religious or believe in God. I have a problem with the, like the dogma, like um, Mm -hmm. The evangelizing and the mm-hmm. um, influence and um, like if you come if you come over and you're Catholic and you I'll talk like we could talk I'd love to pick your brain but like I have no problem with that it's just religion it turns out has turned to, uh, is incredibly harmful mm-hmm. um, not all of it and whatever um, but it can be insidious. Yes. No, definitely. I have people of faith in my life who are uh, wonderful, caring, generous people. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason that they are that way is because of their faith. And I respect that very deeply. And I also have great feelings of anger and resentment that I think are warranted. I have yeah. notes. <laughs> I have some <laughs> notes. Listen, can I? Can we get Frank on the line? Frank? Uh, <laughs> Does he, is Frank, he on Cameo? Can we get Frank on the horn? How much for a cameo from Frank? Yeah. Get Frank on the horn. We got some uh, notes. Oh, man. Well, thank Thank you, you, Edie. Thank you. I only knew the big points of that. I only Mm. remembered the big points of that. Um, I've only ever seen the photos. I just didn't know that was her name. Well, thanks, Edie. Thank I you. Very uh, much enjoy slash hate that. I'm try. I was trying to see if throughout the story if if my spoopy story had any kind of overlap. Um, probably not. But we're taking the classic route today. I think we're having a good okay. classic episode of Creepy Inquiries. We got the exorcism slash true crime side of things, and uh, my story comes from the lovely city of Boston. Oh. Boston, Dunkin' Donuts, Ben Duncan. Affleck, Matt Damon. Wailing. All that. Wailing. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> it's more like Nantucket, right? Yeah. And New Bedford. 
Boston is not only home to the nation's largest marathon and delicious foods like like baked beans and and cream pies and and ooh the and the Boston Tea Party latte. Oh, so delicious. What is that? You know what that is, right? No, what is the Boston? So it's just a London fog latte, but they steep the tea in harbor water. Disgusting. Oh, cute. Yeah. That's delicious. <laughs> did you just make that up? That's I very- sure did. I did. I did. Oh, I did. Listener, he's got like such a cute little stinker. He's very proud of this. I'm just a silly goose it. right now. What can I say? He's <laughs> <laughs> a silly little goose. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of early colonial events took place in and around Boston, yada, yada. Sure. So it makes it one of the most haunted cities in the country. So inevitably, we were going to start talking about something from that city. And I did. This is one of those times where I was like, have we talked about something from Boston Spoop yet? And I went through all the episodes. We did not. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying that. Shocking. Because Big Library is from, from around that way. Indeed. Well, that's... He is, yeah. I did get this story from one of his friends, one of our, our good friends. He's been in touch with his whole life and we see often. So he was the one that suggested it to me last time we were up there. Uh, <laughs> yes. What I present to you today, dear listeners and dear co-hosts, I bring to you the tale of Boston's Lady in Black. Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. I am She's intrigued. mysterious. She's she mysterious. She, uh, there are so many ghosts called the Lady in Black in the U.S. I believe that. Yeah, I yeah. would love. Is there a Daniel Radcliffe movie called The Lady in Black? Yes, there is. Yeah, there is. Yes, yeah. there is. There's a lot. There's a lot of them. I would love to get them all in a room, like seance style, and just kind of like kiki, like so they could mingle <laughs> with each other. Yes, sure. Yes, or you know commission like a graphic novel series that would be eventually adapted into a Netflix limited series. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. <laughs> yes. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Get them together in a house when they stop being polite and start, and start getting, getting real. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Boston's lady in black, her name was Mrs. Melanie Lanier and her tale is tragic and it's full of love and loss and other such tribulations. But Mrs. Melanie Lanier is said to haunt Fort Warren, which is a pre-Civil War fort, not unlike Fort McHenry here in Baltimore. It, too, is pentagonal in shape. It was completed in 1860, so just in time to be used for the Civil War. Perf. Hmm. Right on time. Civil War POW camps were some of the most terrible, squalid places of the entire war. But Fort Warren was an exception because that was a fort that was used to keep Confederate political prisoners and other kind of high value persons. Oh. And they got like cucumber water and <laughs> <laughs> would that we nice could all start. have prisons like that to the uh, extent that we have prisons at all. Abolition. Uh, no. Uh, no, sure. No, agreed though. <laughs> <laughs> but amongst some of the more famous prisoners being held at the time were Alexander Stevens, who was the Confederate vice president, and John Reagan, who was the Confederacy's postmaster general. The ground at Fort Warren, they served as a military training ground in addition to the prison itself. The substantial stone fortification of the fort had like hidden weapons in it too. And where it was positioned in the mouth of the bay itself really made it secure spot. 
Okay. There was an officer by the name of Colonel Francis J. Parker. He had served at Fort Warren during the time of the Civil War. He published his memoir in 1880, a few decades later, and he compared Fort Warren to the setting of Anne Radcliffe's gothic novel, The Mysteries of Rudolfo, which I have not okay. personally read. Mm-mm. Oh, but I do love a gothic novel. But I do love a good I gothic novel. And I can definitely picture something like that is what I'll say. Yeah. yeah. Dark and stormy night, creepy mm. house, mysterious people, All secrets. Secrets. <laughs> and with that being said, let's get into how Mrs. Melanie Lanier became known as the Lady in Black. Okay. Her husband was a Confederate soldier who was imprisoned at the fort. He was captured during a battle in North Carolina early on in the war, and he was taken to the prison up there. Melanie had caught wind of his whereabouts and made it her life's mission to be her husband's heroine and set him free from the shackles of Fort Warren so he could, I don't know, presumably go back home and own slaves. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like kind of, kind of fuck them both. Yeah, <laughs> but like, sure, you know, whatever, nope, whatever. No you're a product of your place and time. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah. You, oh, and for the record, you don't need to feel bad about Melanie. Okay, okay, sweet. Right. Okay, great. Yeah. Noted. Noted. Whatever. Noted. That that's better. One evening, Melanie put her strategic plan into motion. Rumor has it that she had befriended like a Confederate ally in the Boston area because she made her way up from North Carolina to that house in Boston, that safe house, which was Mm -hmm. near the prison itself. It was on the mainland, of course. But uh, she somehow got a boat to the island without being seen in the dead of night, and she used that time to communicate to try and find her husband through the prison Mm -hmm. walls. She was doing that by trying to whistle, I believe, and they had the whistle back and forth call, so she was able to find the husband. Oh, my God. That's like how my fucking mother used to find me and my sister in the grocery store. We had a special whistle. (laughs) Which was? Oh. The whistle developed because it was the whistle that she used for the dog. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I love about you. All your sad stories. All your sad stories. <laughs> the puzzle pieces continue to come to together. Into place. The mm-hmm. pathology of Edie becomes clear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So Melanie finds her prisoner husband, her pr- prisoner slave owner fucking husband. And okay. she's on the other side of the wall of his cell. And she's telling him what the plan is going to be. And her plan was to break him out of the prison. She was going to dress like a man and over and, and get him out of his cell where they would then, mm-hmm. both of them, carve a tunnel from the prison to the armory, which was on the island, but underneath it so they could overtake the armory with all the weapons so they could take over the, I guess, island and make their safe escape that way. And this is the two of them? She does um, release some other prisoners, and they do assist, we'll say. So she okay. it's not All just right. them two. Okay. So there she is. She's ready to get this going. She's like, this is a brilliant plan. Uh, I don't know if you have any other ideas, but if not, let's go with that. Flawless. Flawless, <laughs> Flawless victory. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, at the pre-designated meeting spot later in the evening, she finally heard her husband signal to her, and that's when the plan actually started. 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so she dressed as a man, and Melanie stealthily approached the prison walls. The goal was to use the rope to hoist herself over the wall of the fort, which she ended up doing successfully. And at last, she was finally reunited with her husband. She found the cell, and she was able to slip through the prison bars because she was so petite. She's a skinny racist legend. Skinny mini, yeah. (laughs) After they briefly reunited, they quickly got to work with a couple other prisoners that she had also freed. The group, they started to tunnel their way out of the prison underneath, like I said, into the armory, which was next door to the prison. But a loud (laughs) blow of their pickaxe alerted a guard suddenly. And that's when their jig was up and a riot broke out. Uh Melanie found herself in a standoff with a Union soldier. She brandished her own pistol that she got from that safe house guy. The guard lunged at Melanie. He attempted to grab the weapon from her hands. She kind of tussled for a while, and the gun went off, but she had shot her husband right in front of her. Oh, no. What a tragic loss. So as he falls to his knees, and she's just, her heart is shattered. I fucked it up. I messed up. Did I do that? (laughs) Did I do that? (laughs) Poor Melanie. She was swiftly arrested for uh, starting a riot. And they were like, wait, this is a lady in men's clothing. What? What? How? How? What do we even do here? with it? What? They what? had no idea. She was immediately okay. sentenced to death. And they obviously. were going to hang her for the crime of treason. Obviously, that was a logical step. And the Civil War was not a great time for like... No due process no thanks no. lincoln one of the things that lincoln fucked up was suspending habeas corpus it was bad yeah. it was bad looking yeah. back yeah. it was bad yes. yes it wasn't good it's never a good idea it wasn't it's not great it's not great either and you know what even though they're confederate bastards i love myself a prison break i love it you i know do too I love it. yes i know i do too i know i know and uh, I'm sorry, this one failed, though, miserably, because... I know, because Melanie know fucked it up. There. She fucked it up, shot her husband, and then they took her to hang her immediately, but she was still in her masculine clothing, and she had begged the guards to allow her the dignity of dying in women's clothing. Wait, because- wait, 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 y'all. Uh, you- Can we get... Listen, I was just getting this one ready for the mm. rope and uh so what's a <laughs> executioner to do so well they somehow procured a simple black gown that i guess was somewhere on the uh, island got it okay good good she can die with dignity yeah so she felt right, right. to die in that and she was hung of course you know, she had to be like fucking turfy even then of course <laughs> even then <laughs> i couldn't possibly i mean could we not expect anything more no no no, no, no. definitely not so the body of Melanie Lanier was buried in that gown on the grounds of the island. And she was buried by the side of her husband. And about seven weeks went by, and that's when the first ghostly sightings started to be reported. Okay, that tracks. It takes about seven weeks to become a ghost. You got to incubate. You got to go through a little... You got to. You got to go to orientation. There's mm-hmm. the paperwork. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a six-week orientation. Truly. It's a lot of red tape. 
So after she went through orientation, she got her badge. Such sightings included that uh, a group of officers, after a fresh snowstorm, noticed tracks of a lady's slipper leading nowhere. It suddenly disappeared. Oh. Some soldiers swear that they saw stone rolling around on the floor one night when they were all around just kind of playing poker with one another. It's and Melanie. We're not drunk. It's Melanie. It's Melanie. <laughs> <laughs> they, Melanie, they, get off the floor. <laughs> they reported that they actually saw her, saw her in the same black dress that they killed her in, crying over her dead husband's body. And they even reported seeing and feeling her saddened soul among them just any random time. I guess what? When they're taking a piss? I don't know. I don't know. All right. All right. There they are. Suddenly very bummed in a feminine way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is anybody else feeling? Is anybody else missing their dead husbands? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jim. We all miss Jim. But these days, she's been seen standing atop of um, entrance arches, staring down to people that enter because it's now a public park, much like Fort McHenry is here in Baltimore. Even people that are, quote unquote, reputable authorities, like researchers from MIT, other army personnel, police officers, quote unquote, have said that they've encountered the lady in black. Her name has become Hmm. synonymous with Fort Warren. Okay. But I don't want to burst any Bostonian's bubble here, but it is my understanding that the story of Melanie Lanier is a bunch of baked beans. Not <laughs> real. Beans. Okay, I have to ask, did you choose this story just so you could end it that way? No, no. It came to me as I was writing it, and I was very tickled okay. with myself. Roll you should that be. beautiful bean footage. Yes. <laughs> No, you should be. That's uh, that's great. I love it. Yes. Uh, uh, the lore of the Lady in Black, it said that it originated in the 1930s. A well-known historian of Boston's history, his name was Edward Rowe Snow. He wrote a book that celebrated New England's popular um, island islands in the harbors. And that was one of the islands he talked about. And he mentioned the Lady in Black in that 1935, I believe, publishing of that book. Okay. There's still people that suggest Snow invented that story of the Lady in Black as a gimmick because although he wrote about the Lady in Black in the 1930s, when Fort Warren went up for sale in the 1940s, he was a spearhead of a huge campaign to make it into the public park that it is today. And a lot of the publishing kind of materials that he was using to promote that project were these words of mouth stories of the okay. spoopy happenings. One of those Aren't was you a lady black. He lied for money? I wouldn't say no. that at all. Where did you get that that. idea? I've never heard of such an insidious thing. It's not to say that he didn't hire people to do guided tours at the forts that that use that story. (laughs) (laughs) I'm shocked. Of course he did. (laughs) Yes. But when it comes down to it. I love a gimmick, though. I do. I would pay for it. I would, too. Like, it pays to advertise. And look, he got people going to that that island. So good for him. (laughs) Experts, though, did not find any mention of any woman ever being at Fort Warren, let alone being executed then. 
because in the wake of the Civil War, there was only uh, one woman known to be executed during that time. Her name was Mary Surratt, and she was executed for her role in conspiracy to assassinate President Lincoln. Oh, I was wondering why that name sounded so familiar. There you go. Uh, It wasn't at Fort Warren, of course. It was just she was one of the only, if not, I think, the woman executed during that time. So it would have made sure. national news if a female It would have was. been big time shit. Truly. Yeah. Truly. But it was no mention ever in any papers and no firsthand accounts were ever written about. And it's just been made up. But if there ever was a Melanie Lanier who lived in the South during the war... Maybe she existed. I don't know, but I canceled my Ancestry.com account months ago, so I cannot check the sentences. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's but fair even enough. if she did exist, she certainly never made her way up to Boston. Sorry, yeah. y'all. I just crushed the story of the lady in black. Oh, <laughs> you did crush it. You crushed it. Don't at okay. me, Boston. Don't at me. Oh, that was fun. I don't, I've never heard of her before. Ms. I didn't never know heard of her. I love it. I love to hear about a fun spoopy story and then have it revealed to be a hoax. All, All made up. I love it. All yeah. made up. Yep. It's the best. This was a one giant deflection. <laughs> Come Y'all want to hear a story that's not real? Yes. But that uh, there's plenty of other ladies in black that I would probably love to do a series on. Maybe I, I was going to say we should do a ladies in black series. I think so. Well, thanks, Kev. That was a lot. You're of fun. welcome. Thank y'all for entertaining me today. Oh. I love being the audience. <laughs> oh, we love that you love being the Ugh. audience. I, I love, love that you love that we love. But you know what I also love, Miss, hmm. being contacted via social media. How oh, do our God, listeners do it. that? Oh, well, if you want to get us on social media, check us out on Instagram at Creepy Inquiries Pod. You can also shoot us an email at creepyinquiriespod at gmail.com. If you're ever interested in any of our sources, we post them um, every week at creepyinquiriespod.com. Mm-hmm. And then finally, if you could just be, if you, if you just got a minute, why don't you just head over where you're listening and give us a cute little rate and review? Yeah. If you could be five so stars, or I will break into your home and tunnel my way out. That is something you don't want because those property taxes would go crazy. That would just cost so much money to fix. (laughs) Listener, thank you so much for joining us for episode 67, the Nathan Lane aged episode. Oh, happy birthday, Nathan Lane. Hakuna Matata. And until next time, peace.